episode 49 of 18th Wall Productions presents the television crossover universe on the Grand Gagnon Network. Coming to you live from behind the chrome microphone of excellence, we have James Boyachuk, CEO Dubois of 18th Wall Productions, and M.H. Norris, Mystery Maven and Sci-Fi Sorceress. I'm not sure which of that I like better, the <laughs> Mystery Maven and Sci-Fi Sorceress, or the fact that you just called this the chrome microphone of excellence. I prefer the chrome microphone of excellence. You weren't introduced yet, so... You want I'm to go ahead and introduce yes, our coming guests? from balmy, sunny, somewhere up north in the Hawaiian shirt of... What's something that starts with H? I don't know. Spit I'm a word out. I'm not sitting a word out. Um, gosh, you got to warn me. This is Ben Casson, also known as the chrome microphone of excellence. Yes, that was me he was referring to earlier. Take yes, that as you may. speaking into you. The <laughs> audio is shooting out of your mouth and into the network. Oh my gosh, what have I signed the myself TV up for? TVCU crew week? are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs, all in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the television crossover universe. And I beat your time. <laughs> yeah. And now we're going to move straight ahead to our guest, the ever productive, shockingly productive, how can he possibly write so much one man wonder, Guy Adams after this break. Guy Adams is known for many things. For his novels, some original, some based on established properties, many, so far as I'm aware, award-winning. For his audio dramas, now moving into Big Finish's famous main range of new monthly Doctor Who stories, and also for being the harving of Harbinger of our show's doom. The first time he was scheduled, our then-host, Robert E. Ronsky Jr., ended up in the hospital for an entire day. This time, we've had weird technical issues that have pushed us back over an hour from our original start time and gave our producer and his studio the dreadful new screen of death. Write in with your predictions on what's going to happen next time, guys, on. Uh, well, I can't think of anything other than a giant vortex at multiple points across the world sucking us all into an alternate dimension that doesn't receive audio broadcasting signals. That would be well, a nightmare. I'll top him and go into Flash Season 1, you know, the causality. No. <laughs> so, Guy, you no recently moved into uh, the finish third Doctor range. Yes. So tell us yeah. about the transcendence of, I'm going to butcher this, the transcendence of Ifros and why all of our listeners should rush over to bigfinish.com and buy it. Um, okay. Well, obviously, because it's amazing. Um, that is the best. Well, welcome, welcome to the egotism hour here with, with Guy Adams, internet destroyer. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it is, you, you, got, you got the pronunciation right, actually, because... Just as a little sideline, it did occur to me when I was doing some, uh, sort of special features interviews, I had no idea how to pronounce the title of my own play. <laughs> um, which, you know, it's fine. When you're the writer, you think, that's okay, I can make it up. But then you realize they've all recorded it. They could have called it Ephros, Ephros, anything. Ephros, they went for it. So we're, we're fine, you're good. Um, why should people buy it? Well, they should buy it if they love a bit of John Pertley in their ears, because Tim Chalor is just phenomenal at, at challenging um, missing uh, John Pertwee. Um, 
at the same time, it's 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 very easy that a lot of the conversations get very caught up in, in Tim's performance because obviously he's doing something phenomenal and and unusual. But let's not forget we have Katie Manning being called Katie Manning and optimum Katie Manning is just a, a thing of dreams. Um, Katie's great. She's just a marvelous, marvelous actress, and Joe Grant, a marvelous character. Oh yes, terrible. Um, and an entire wonderful cast. It's re- I, I actually I, I finished listening to it yesterday, and I, I'm pleased to say that I'm not upset. But you know, as a writer of audio dramas, is it's, it's a good thing. Not that that Big Finish make a habit of breaking audio dramas or far from. But obviously, as a as a writer, you kind of hear a thing in your head when you're writing it, and you never really know what you're going to get. Actors lines and all. To so things can change, um, and that was the case with this. There was there was lots of elements to it where I thought, oh, sound like that, but half the fun, I think it works. I think it people seem to be enjoying it, and that's really helpful. Have I oh. sold it well enough? I think so. Now, this is your first time writing a canon doctor other than Sylvester McCoy's Seventh Doctor. What was this like? What were some of the surprising differences or surprising similarities in going from McCoy's Doctor to Pertwee's? Um, well, I mean, it is very different. I'm, I'm a big believer in, I know, um, lovely Uncle Terence Dix once, once said the Doctor is always the same person, but um, I don't agree. Um not only are, oh, yes. are, is each Doctor categorically different, each era of the show has a very different flavour. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan, I'm a great believer in trying to channel, evoke the, the, the flavour of, of, of each era. And that's, that's a big part of these these releases as well. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's right up there when, you, when you're contracted that, you know, the job is to, to very much evoke... 1970s tea time with these uh, third doctor adventures that doesn't mean they have to be limited that doesn't mean you you know you, you can't be um, inventive and creative but they are certainly partly exercises in nostalgia as far as as tone is concerned um and so it really couldn't be more different I mean, you, you know, you sit down and watch, I don't know, say, watch The Happiness Patrol and watch Colony in Space and tell me they're the same show, because they're not. They're not the same show. Um, they both have very different flavours, very different atmospheres, different, um, I was going to say different messages, but actually, in my two examples, there's, there's certain similarities. <laughs> but but generally speaking, you know, it, it's oh, yeah. just the feel, just the sound, the music, the the look, um, just the, the style of TV programming, there's there's, there's you know, years between them of course they feel different and so i mean that's the great thing with with these these jobs it's a great thing with doctor who writing um doctor who across the eras as, as we can do with big finish um i don't think many people would ever get bored of writing doctor who but even if there were such weird horrible unpleasant terrible creatures as that it would be very hard to do so when each era of doctor who you're approaching is in itself so different um so no, I mean it was it was it was certainly. A, I want to say it was a challenge, but actually I'm, I'm I so adore the Pertwee stories, and I, if if I have a skill, and I'm English, and so I find it hard to even suggest for a moment I have a skill. Um, 
I'm quite good, I think, I hope, at, at kind of catching a voice, catching an, an atmosphere or something. So that's usually the, the part of this job that I don't find difficult. That's the part of the job that comes quite naturally to me, just getting that voice across. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't, that wasn't too difficult. Um, no, I've wondered a terrible job capturing his voice. Well, it's, it's you know, and it, you've got to you've got to try and make sure, as I'm sure Tim has to try and make sure you don't keep falling back on on the same ticks. You know, you, you can't say good grief every, every single line. That would just be tedious. But, you know, you've, you've got to get that. Because I mean, the third doctor is a weird one. I mean, he is a weird character. Um, you know, and the, he's not like any other doctor. I mean, I, I've already said that all the doctors are different, but I mean, the the third doctor is, and along with William Hartnell, really, they're the two doctors that I would be overjoyed to be in the room with, but also terrified because I just know I'd get told off. <laughs> you know, they're, they're both inherently yes. slightly prickly. Um, I mean, Pert, we used to talk about how he loved his, his cape, this this mother hen that was protective and, and, and enveloping, and the, and the kids would look to him and go, oh, I feel so safe now the doctor is here. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that for one minute. I thought, well, I'm safe from, you know, um, Ogrons. I'm, I'm safe from, from Daleks invading country houses somewhere but i'm certainly not safe from the doctor because he's going to tell me off in a minute for wearing the wrong sort of shirt i mean I, he, he has a streak in him that you know is, is very quick to to snap um and I, I as an adult i feel it less but as a child that was a that was a big big thing for me really as a, as a kid watching the perfect stories and actually feeling slightly uncomfortable with him um which is kind of weird. That's he's the even Hartnell doesn't do that to me. Hartnell, I just think, oh, you know, bless him, he's in a mood. But yeah, yes. the third Doctor actually, as a, as a child, unnerved me a little bit. And so it's it's quite fun as an adult coming back and and owning him. <laughs> One of my um, favorite descriptions of the third doctor actually came from Liz Slayton. Um, she sits there in her autobiography and mentioned how he's like this man's mess, and there's a reason why Bessie was the third doctor's car versus any of the other from that era. And I always found it fun, and I loved listening to when you wrote him and getting to see him in a different light, but at the same time, it does reflect how it on the episodes. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, she's been things. squirming in her seat, trying to work up the courage to say that for the last few minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you never have to summon out courage to give praise to a writer. <laughs> um, they're desperate for it. Um, God, I used to be an actor. Now I'm a writer. This, this, <laughs> this is, this is, this is how we feed. This, this is, this is our sustenance. Uh, yes, um, yes, it I'm is. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it works. I think it's fun. I think, I, obviously, I, I want to avoid spoilers. I got a lovely, lovely review yesterday, but unfortunately, it was, it, it, I mean, you've heard it, so you know, it, it talked about everything right up until the end of the third episode and slightly into the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> At which point I thought, oh, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, you sort of think that's too much story to give away. That but, is, sadly, because it's, one of the most interesting things in that episode. And I have a very carefully written question about what inspired this character and that backstory that's so carefully worded that it's essentially just 
noun, verb. It's going to, and, it's, and I'm now trying to think of the really clever way of answering the question. Um, okay, if people have heard it, they'll understand what, what we're talking about. And yes, it just seemed it's to me. It's a secret club for people of what's It is. This is a, this is, this is, we're, we're already at this stage of the interview, we're, we're rejecting certain chunks of the listenership. So you can all go away. You, you, you have the no idea is what that we're no talking one's about. left by Sorry. the end of the episode. Well, that's that's the hope. I mean, that's that's how I approach every public engagement, and and so far I've always been successful. Um, so, so that's yeah, why you quit acting was... to become an author. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I I managed to successfully get rid of any potential audiences. Now I'm, I'm whittling down. I, well, I've got rid of all my readers, so that's why I've moved into audio now, and I, I'm working on the ears. I'm just trying to deafen the the, the world. Um, my vague answer. I felt we'd seen the reverse of that situation quite a few times um how we'd seen the influence of the doctor on people um i, I think that's 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 a sort of constant thread to yes. several stories of how his presence in people's lives on a planet whatever is is something that often actually plays into the story that, that to, to come into the the sphere of, of that personality changes you it affects you know who you are people who meet the doctor are changed by that experience um and that made me think about um a story idea and that story idea became part of this so now if you do know what we're talking about you know where we are otherwise you just think okay he's talking about the doctor's influence and i am but you know yeah moving on so that was my thinking that was your thing so this is another thing that probably is a completely meaningless string of words because no spoilers <laughs> are in it but i'm going to skip the entire first part of the question since that's still a bit too spoilery but <laughs> Throughout this entire script, you turn a lot of normal Doctor Who tropes and third Doctor tropes especially on their head, reversing the way people would expect them to go. Yeah. Um, I just, I, like I was saying at the start about this being an exercise in nostalgia, at the same time, it seemed interesting to me um, I mean, we we can we can say you know without heading into to spoiler territory, um, you know as as this story starts, we are seeing a very conventional third Doctor setup. We are seeing oh yeah the common man, um, and we are seeing the great corporation, the hungry powerful corporation. Um, and it would be oversimplifying to say I reverse that. I, I, I don't. So I mean, it's not a spoiler to suggest that that's the case. But what I do try and do, and it's kind of against my own instincts in a way, I I, I thought let's do a, a big evil corporation story, but actually try and make elements of that corporation not so big and evil. Because um, I, I can very naturally fall into the, the all corporations are evil, evil camp. Um, because, you know, they usually are. But, you know, at the same time, it's such a kind of backbone of, of so much um, of the Doctor's era that having created something that was so familiar, it wouldn't have been interesting to me to do that without trying to say something a bit fresh while I was at it, because just otherwise, you know, it really would have been cookie cutter writing. 
Oh, yes. And it works as a trick on the reader, because while I was surprised you were doing something so very straight laced traditional, a lot of the surprises later on took me off guard because I was in the OK, we're doing the most traditional third doctor story possible. Got it. Yeah. Mindset. Um, so, yeah, I'm a tease, basically. <laughs> but in, in, yes. in elements, it, it still is kind of a very traditional. But we, but, but yeah, that's I mean, that the was fun juggling. of it. It is fresh and different and subversive without actually being subversive. Um, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sort of thing. Again, I'm being too English. I think oh, my God, it would be lovely to agree with that, but that would sound so egotistical. No, this We're is all... the ego hour. I know, I know, but we're we're in. I just, I, yeah. No, no, we've oh, got James holding, here. This is the ego hour. No, no, it's okay. He's holding out for more ego. He's saving. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because you, <laughs> you also get to the point as an English writer where you just start to feel a bit embarrassed. It's <laughs> awful. You know, writers are so kind of, oh, no, oh, I, like, I, I know. I suppose it was all sort of all right. And then you're English as well. I mean, God, it's a, it's a wonder I can even talk to you. <laughs> Pathetic. Do you and have the, anything else you'd like to say about this story? Um... Just really echoing just how pleased I am with, with the entire cast, with with um, Richenda's work. And just, it's just, it's something that happens with Big Finish each and every time. But I can't express how much I love the fact that I, I get to just create a dead thing on, on a piece of paper that exists in, in my head, but nowhere else and then i hand it over and then the sound design the music all of the actors nick's direction you know it becomes this big living thing and it's just such a thrill doing that and that's i, I think they've done a really good job here and um, you know they've done me proud and it's lovely oh yes and now let's move into another one of your recent big finish releases the fiesta of the damned you talked about this a little bit last time you were on, but you were also in pre-release, Iron Curtain Up, no spoilers at all. So please tell us more about the Fiesta of the Damned, what it is, and what it's about. Uh, yeah, well, it's been out long enough now, so I could probably sit down and list everyone who dies, can't I? Just, oh, yes. <laughs> just like a form please, of Please, let's just take a break. We'll put on Spanish Flea or yeah. Benny Hill music, and you can read off every dead character. Oh, God, not Benny Hill. Please, not Benny Hill. <laughs> um... Don't, just don't make me. Um, so, yeah, Fierce of the Damned. Uh, it's my first uh, main range story, which was terribly lovely and exciting. Nice four, you know, four parts. Sylvester McCoy, again, I do love Sylvester. I've, I've managed to work with Sylvester a few times now, and Sophie, of course. Um, but this time also to work, um, bring Melanie Bush in, into the into the into the mix to, to have Bonnie Langford on board, which was great fun. And the original idea I came up with was nothing to do with Fiesta of the Damned at all. I, I came up with a story that one day we'll probably do, so I won't I won't give too many details about it except to say it was going to be 1960s New York and um, Marvel Comics. Oh, probably not is... Marvel Comics wow. because you know legal issues, but it would have legal been a comics issues. office. Um, but I mean, it, that's one way to get big finishes: Stanley cameo in. With a fake Stanley. <laughs> well, this is it. Legally that, that distinct kind of Stanley. Better get working on it while he's still around, you know? Don't put that story off too much. Well, you see, now, because of the reputation you've given me, this harbinger of doom, just mentioning Stanley, I'm now worried. I am, I am serious. <laughs> 
because I love news. Stanley. Stanley found dead of mysterious heart attack. He'd finished oh, writing the name yeah. Guy Ada. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he did put a really big exclamation after uh, mark after both words. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I adore Stanley. I'd hate to have killed him. Um, but yes, that was that was. I just thought that would be a fun world. I'm a big comics fan, obviously. Um, that would be really but, fun. But there's there was kind of issues with that. There was there was it wasn't Alan liked the story. Alan Barnes, the scripter, liked the story. But there, there were there were sort of practical concerns. And so in in the way that these things can happen, sometimes it was a very last minute. Um, can you come up with another idea quick, please? Um, maybe you could even set it in Spain as you live there and it hadn't actually occurred to me um, and I'd actually had an idea a while ago that um, Hemingway and the Doctor would be fun together uh, but again of course Hemingway real person, literary estates issues but nonetheless it made me think Spanish Civil War Doctor Who for Doctor Who the bell tolls if you will and so <laughs> Yeah, very quickly came up with, with this idea of, of, of talking about the Spanish Civil War, which is, is kind of weird to me. I don't, I don't know um, about America. I mean, obviously, it's quite a while ago. But I was interviewed by someone about this who thought I'd invented the Spanish Civil War, which is quite sweet. They were terribly young. Um, but nonetheless, they did go, so what, what made you come up with the idea of the Spanish Civil War? <laughs> um, I think, well, I think you'll find that was... That was uh, General Franco, um, but uh, I mean, you yeah, should was... just take credit for directing the course of human history. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but you know that would be such a bad idea. I, I can barely look after cats, let alone the world. It just wouldn't. No, people would die. And I mean, well, imagine that... how your problem with shame over your ego and all of that would work out if you're writing the world too. Well, I mean, you know, it could go one or two ways. I, I might suddenly turn, might not. I might really get to love it, and then I just become this terrible kind of Caligula egomaniac, and it would just be awful and be ordering horses all the time. Um, well, if nothing but, else, you did a public service making people like that aware that there was, in fact, a Spanish Civil War. Well, that was that was quite sweet. And actually, in, in hindsight, I almost wish I'd done a straight historical I almost wish I hadn't introduced, because, yeah, it's set during the Spanish Civil War, but predictably enough, if you like, that there, there is an alien threat and it, it becomes a, a far more traditional Doctor Who story. It is, it's, it's a pretty traditional Doctor Who story, I think. Um, and in hindsight, looking back on it, thinking, actually, maybe I should have just been brave enough to just tell a story about the Spanish Civil War. That might have been nice. But, but I didn't. So tough. You don't get that. You get glimpses. But otherwise, you get you get weird aliens and running and explosions and death. It's so yeah. interesting that you had that perspective because, like, while we were listening to what you're saying, like, the strongest elements of that story really are like the historical context, and it almost felt like it didn't need sci-fi to be fascinating. Like, yeah. just the war itself was so interesting. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I must have again. This is this is English. You come around. I I think I think it's a lovely audio drama. I think again. Brilliant work done in studio. It's, it's it's wonderfully performed. It's not one of my favourite scripts. I I, I think um, I, it's great. You know, everyone be so pleased with me here. So yes, he went on a podcast talking about his recent things, and he said yes, it, it's a bit it's a bit crap. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, well, I don't. I, I, I think it's, this is one of my favourite big finishes. 
Oh, well, you see what I've been done. listening what for years, and it has landed a solid spot in one of my all-time favorites. Oh, and I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. I, I, I think it is purely that writer's streak where I, I realized after the fact that maybe I could have been braver, as I say. I, I think I did deliver a very traditional, hopefully very fun story. It's got elements in it that I'm, I'm pleased with, but I think overall yeah. I could have made I mean, stuff more. I very much succeeded on all of the characterization overwhelmingly succeeded and that's really where it sells itself the best yeah the chemistry between mel and ace was just like on point they just added so much to each other whenever they were in a scene together they work well together um you know they're a fun book because again they're very conflicting characters very um unusual um you know where they're very yeah they're, they're very conflicting and I think probably one of the scenes that works the best is, is them having breakfast in the cafe, which <laughs> oh yes, probably probably Love shows how scene. incredibly full of confidence I am. Yeah, my favourite scene was where they were having breakfast. Yes, action, the action thing is, that's like Guy a five-minute scene, and I think that's everyone's favourite. Um, but it's kind of yeah, you know, and it's 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 they 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 do riff wonderfully off each other, and of course Sophie and Bonnie are just great. You know, and I, I know I'm going to, I'm getting dull about this. I, I, I assure you, there are actors who um, I have met in this world that are awful. I'm just lucky that I don't seem to have been lumbered with any of them yet. Care to uh, name any names? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, and uh, yeah, definitely not. Um, I can't think of any in Big Finish actually. That's why. That's why it's, why it's well, terrible. I mean, it's I've never fortunate. heard a single negative thing about any classic Doctor Who actor. It's like they're immune to all of normal actor horrible things somehow. I think uh, also the thing you've got bear in mind. Other than Tom Baker, who is, of course, Tom Baker. <laughs> well, yeah, you say that. I mean, yeah, he is. Obviously, he, I mean, he sort of admits Tom Baker is Doctor Who and Doctor Who is Tom Baker as far as he's concerned. But there are, you know, as, as a person who is, is sat in a room with Tom Baker, I, I wasn't sat in a room with the fourth Doctor. Uh, he is lovable about it, but there is there is still a magic that uh, I mean they all have. Not only uh, I mean it, it's a show that's terribly lucky to have brought such great actors on board. You know, and obviously oh, yes. I, I say lucky as as if they stuck a pin in a spotlight directory and well let's hire him. Obviously it was a lot of work, a lot of progress. But um, I mean interestingly, it's, it's John Pertwee if you like that stands out as the one insecure member of that band, because, I mean, it's, it's clear how concerned he was throughout his time on the show of always wanting to be thought of as a proper actor. He wasn't just a comedian. He wasn't just a comic turn. And, and there was a clear insecurity, I think, to Pertwee. Uh, maybe that's why the, the character is, in fact, quite so um, full on. I would believe but, that. Um, you know, these are great actors, that have been playing the part for years. So, I mean, it's there is a switch on the back of a Peter Davison, and you flick it. And and if you flick it one way, it sticks its arm up something. If you flick it another way, it, it becomes the Doctor. And <laughs> um, that's a terribly reductive uh, <laughs> summation of Peter Davison. But a fascinating action figure that I would totally buy. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. It would, it would have all manner of, of, uh, of applications. Um, have you read his biography? Uh, no, I have not. Just a complete, you know, gear change. You should. It's great. It's really funny. No, I've just started reading Pertwee's autobiography, and it's fascinating so far. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's good. As is Tom Baker's Who on Earth is Tom Baker, which is, is just insane. Which obviously. is just him telling stories. It is, but I mean, that's what we and want. it's the best thing. Yeah. It's exactly what you want. Uh, but yeah, it's a Peter Davison's is definitely worth picking picking out. It's a very uh, it's a very funny book. It's a very well written book. Yes. Um, there was probably a question back here about. Uh, um, actually, I have a huge compliment that Ben and I came up with this morning as we were plotting out what we wanted to say, and I have a ridiculous fan question that focuses on a single line of dialogue. So let's go with ridiculous first. <laughs> so this is the uh, most okay. fanish question I will probably ever ask on this show, and it's mm-hmm. founded on one line of dialogue, but I, I will indulge myself. Go so Ace reflects on her previous holidays to Spain, something which includes far more chocolate spread than is sane or healthy, which is, of mm-hmm. course, the most Ace concept ever. So when did Ace actually go to Spain on holiday? Because her family was very poor. But the way she's talking, it wasn't a vacation she took with the doctor. So my friend and I decided it has to take place during the black and white storyline when Ace and Hex are off on their own TARDIS. Which, if well, you don't know, you can feel no, no, free I, to I, steal I that. I do know. I, I do know. Um, okay, so, right. Let, let's, let's take this as a marvelous moment to analyze the Doctor Who writer's mind, Okay. First of all, the honest, the honest part of the Doctor Who writer's mind when presented with that question goes, oh, shit. Um, because he realizes you've got a terribly valid point that hadn't occurred to him. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's the honest, honest. I've had a similar thing with um, the class novel I've just written, which I saw someone on a forum pointing out a, an inconsistency as to where it could be set between episodes. And, you know, it's... It's one of those things where you go, oh, yeah, that's that's really true. And then, But wonderfully, what happens with Doctor Who is what's happened here, is if the writer just has the common sense to keep his mouth shut, the person asking the question or the forum posting what is initially perhaps perceived as an error will slowly start to develop the solution to the problem. It's the Marvel <laughs> no prize in effect. And so just the same as, as my class novel was finally through various th- th- postings of threads, you know, kind of, yeah, no, that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, okay, oh, that's good. We, we've squared that away. We've sorted that. It is no longer a problem. As you have pointed out, obviously, Ace went to Spain with Hex. I mean, you know, I'm surprised you even have to ask that. I mean, it was. I actually <laughs> put it in the dialogue, and I thought, you know, that's such a stupid thing. I don't even have to point that out. Of course that's when it happened, and everyone will know. So um, does this mean I should write Nick Briggs for my big finish no prize? Yeah, you get well. I don't. I don't know how, how up, up Nick is on Marvel comics. I'll send. I'll, I'll send you a no prize. Excellent. <laughs> my life has been made. <laughs> so now uh, let's just go crazier. What brand of chocolate spread do you think Ace prefers? Do you see her as more of an Atella girl, or is she more of a Cadbury fiend? Ah, uh, well, you see. Oh, now, this is difficult because if she had actually gone on holiday as a kid, it would have been Nutella and nothing else because I don't think Cadbury's even made chocolate spread uh, at that point. In fact, I know they didn't because I I was once a child in England and I have occasionally been known to eat chocolate spread. Um, If, however, (laughs) she went to Spain with Hex at some point more recently then she could have had various brands. In fact, in Spain, you can't move for brands that aren't Nutella. You even get spread now that's made out of weird biscuit stuff from Belgium. 
Oh, it's yeah. all they thrilling. Sell that here too. This yeah, sort of. I want to say Sporloos, but that's the film that's vanishing. Um, it's nothing <laughs> quite so terrifying. It's it's something it's, else. It's something like Speckloose. That's the one. Yeah, it's much more medical sounding. So I'm just uh, going to take this to mean that Ace eats multiple different jars in her own little yeah, chocolate I mean, spread yeah, buffet every meal. We've got to, we've we got should to be very shows. concerned for her. We've got to get our show through BBC approvals. I can't possibly say she recommends <laughs> Nutella over something else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a BBC lawyer down on me like a ton of bricks if I say stuff like that. Sadly. I think Ace enjoys all forms of chocolate spread <laughs> because there are lots of chocolate spread brands available. I am so glad I asked this nonsense question. Oh, my God. Okay. Now for the serious thing. As Ben and I were talking about this morning before recording, Fiesta the Damned is the sort of story that Televised 2 has really forgotten how to tell. It's founded in character, steeped in historical context and tragedy. It's less concerned with sci-fi bigness and more concerned with the world and the characters. Because the TARDIS doesn't make Doctor Who a sci-fi-only series. The TARDIS makes it possible for Doctor Who to tell any kind of story. And this is something the majority of your Doctor-focused Big Finish stories have touched on. The characters, the feel, the world. So this really isn't a question, it's more an observation on why I think your stories strike a particular chord. Well, that's, I mean, that's fair enough. I'm not sure I agree that modern Doctor Who doesn't have rich character moments. I, I know what you mean, but there there is obviously a, a, a different dynamic to yeah, making like, 45 Yeah, like, they don't episodes, have those but... moments, but that your scripts are very much founded in and then expand from those moments. Yeah, I mean, everything I do is about character. Always, always has been. Plus, I, a big, I, a big sorry, departure in modern Doctor Who is that you see just more sci-fi, not just focused, but completely dependent plots. Like, this one like we were saying before, the history is just so prevalent in it. It could stand on its own as just like some sort of historical fiction because Doctor Who, the basis of some of the greatest classic Doctor Who stories are just putting him in an interesting point in time, not just an interesting point in future or space. Yeah, no, I, mean, I completely agree with that. I love a traditional historical story. Um, I, I will shortly be writing one, in fact, although I can't tell you anything about it, obviously. But oh, it's... You know, it's that they were the sixties Doctor Who with its just huge ambitions to well, you know, we're gonna do it on the planet of the ants this week. <laughs> but with one <laughs> small room and four pounds. I know, but it doesn't matter. We've got some ants and some dancers and it's gonna be fabulous. And next week we're going to go to France and have the revolution. That's completely ruining televised continuity at this point, but it doesn't matter. Um the you know, sheer that, unmitigated moxie of the black and white. It series. is, it's it's great, isn't it? It is lovely. But I mean the you know, in, in some ways you could look and, and say, Well, the historical stories they they they're gonna be much cheaper. Look at Marco Polo and shut up. There is, there is no, well, you can't sadly look at Marco Polo, but sadly, you can look at some gorgeous photos of Marco Polo. It and amazes you can tell, me how much detail and color they put into something that none of the audience would ever see. Which just constantly, endlessly amazes me that they cared that much. Which, of course, is why it's, it stands up today. Mm. But you just, you think that that, I mean, that show, I think, is just such a. You just look at it from a story point of view. The, as you say, the moxie, the sheer balls of going. We're, we're, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do this show. And we're going to go from uh, the ice capped Himalayas to deserts to you know. It, it's it's we don't care. You know, it's it's this wonderful, epic, expansive 
it's it feels huge and we know it's not huge we know it's set based just listening to it it's still you know it's an epic tale and it didn't need any aliens you're right you know i i think the i think the straight historicals and again of course the straight historicals of just by their nature tend to be very character led because it's very hard to write a historical dot two story without dealing with the fact of there's going to be this massacre there's going to be this volcanic eruption there's going to be whatever and so you know here's lots of people you like and you are aware of course that the aztecs like to do sacrifice or they're soon going to be wiped out by uh, um rather naughty spaniards and so you know that you have a there's a there's automatically a, a, a kind of an emotional crutch there isn't there of, of, of we're being introduced to, to ghosts we're being introduced to people who are already dead and the question is simply are they even going to survive this story um you know there's a real power to that i think that sometimes high concept sci-fi stuff is 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 adorable and i love that too um but yeah that just that pure character uh, aspect that writing a straight historical can can offer you i think is is really powerful it's great it's, it's not only that, playing off of what Ben said, that public service thing, I was in a conversation with a bunch of people, and someone casually asked, well, when was that? And I straight out shot out the date without even thinking yeah. about it. And they looked at me, and I was like, Doctor Who. <laughs> I know. It, it's, it's I it do is. that all the time. I do that all the time. And, you know, how how, how often have, have we been slightly sniffed at for our, you know, our obsession? Less so now, I know. But, I mean, I'm old enough that – when I was when I was a fan through through the Peter Davis and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy eras because that's that's when I was growing up. I saw the the end of Tom Baker, but it was really it was those those three that were my childhood doctors. It was very unfashionable to say you're a Doctor Who fan. You know, if I if I went to school with a Doctor Who t-shirt on, I I, I could predict a few bruises by the end of the day. <laughs> um, and wow. yet, I'm. You know, it taught me so much stuff, not not just historical stuff, but a lot of that. You know, just just my 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 world knowledge is built on Doctor Who and Marvel comics. God, it, I shouldn't be able to function. But the point is, I do. And that's why they're both brilliant. I mean, I think if anything, Doctor Who just teaches all of its hardcore fans how to talk and sound more clever than you actually are. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're, we've all been uh, dressed up nicely by the doctor and sent out to play in the world. Oh yes. Yes. So but this just, is more of a general question, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if I actually asked this in the last episode, but no, I did not. So how is it that you are able to do so while capturing voices, not just of licensed character or pre-existing characters, but your own characters? Like I've started recently reading the second Heaven's Gate book. You just have oh, this wonderful. remarkable way of finding a character's voice. Um, that's really nice to hear that. I'm glad, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, well, yes. In fact, I had a whole bunch of questions planned, but then we <laughs> ended up running out of time. So oh, we'll have I'm to have sorry. you on again to talk about those. No but worries. I am enjoying it very much. Good. I'm pleased with those three books. Um, I will. The, the advantage I have is, is, is the fact I was an actor first. Not a very good one. Um, I freely admit that. Um, it was not. It was not my great skill. But part of the skill of being an actor is obviously hearing a voice and channeling that voice. And 
what it's, it's always been able to bring to my writing is, I hope, reasonable dialogue, dialogue that people could, could speak. It's not, there's a difference between dialogue is, is not realistic. You know, dialogue on, on, in a script or on, on, in a novel isn't how we would speak in real life because they're complete sentences and, 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 and neat and tidy and witty and lovely and, and all the things that we struggle to be in real life on podcasts. Um, but there is a, a way of writing dialogue that hopefully can sound as if it could be said in the real world. Um, and that's something an actor soon gets an ear for, ear for because he's given the script where you look at a line and you go, how am I even going to say that? How can I make those words happen without them just sounding awful? You look at it and you go, I don't know how I can speak those words. And so that and the general process of, of playing different characters and, and learning to think as different characters and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really useful background for a writer. Um, and I think actually it's, it, all good writers do it anyway, you know, and, and I, I, I suspect there's a lot of good writers that could make good actors for that reason, because they already have that skill. Um, and it's, it's just how I've always approached the scripts that I do. Um, I hear the voices and I'm, I'm very about voice and tone. It's always been the thing. Every book that I've started has had a flavor to it before I've even worried about plot. Plot comes second, flavor comes first. Um, and by flavour, I, I mean all of those things. I mean the tone of the characters, the voice, how this whole thing will feel. Um, that's always my, my f first step with anything creative. And so with, with the audio stuff, obviously that you, you're bound to be focusing very much on the, on the sound of characters. Um, although weirdly, by having Bernard Holly in uh, Transference uh, of Ephros, 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 um, Playing a ruthless businessman with a Yorkshire accent, I also wrote a ruthless businessman in a Vienna story that was played by Bernard Holly with a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm immediately thinking, I just must make sure I never write any more ruthless businessmen because I'm going to end up with a nervous tick. I'm going to end up going, oh, this will be a guide script. But, you know, someone's just walked into an office and gone, it's not good enough. And, you know, yeah. I've got to make sure I vary myself. But, yeah, you've got to get the voice. Wildly shifting gears. Mm -hmm. I recently read your short story, A Study in Scarborough, from 221 Baker Streets, edited by oh. David Thomas Moore. Yeah. Now, could you tell us a bit more about this particular story and the rate in the British radio culture that inspired it? Yeah, I could. Um, that story was nearly twice as long as it is. Um, because it just could have, I, I got quite excited about the sort of fictional background. Just, just to sort of give it a kind of summary, the, the idea of the book was to write unusual, unseen versions of Holmes and Watson. So, you know, Sherlock Holmes and, and John Watson could be anything. They could be a pair of cats. They could be future space cops. Um, my approach was to to make them two actors who had achieved fame through a long-running comedy radio series where the characters we know of Holmes and Watson were the characters in this radio series. So, so you know, our, the Victorian detective was it was a comedy series. And then the short story is actually about the actors and about the, the kind of falling out between them. But I've always been a big fan of radio, as is obvious, and as I, I banged on about endlessly last time, I know. Um, and particularly uh, The Goons, 
Um, and so the, the, the whole kind of world of that kind of radio comedy is, is, is something that I'm a huge fan of, um, as well as any kind of, you know, vintage television. It's no different. The idea of these kind of big personalities that, that have to turn off their real life bitterness and hatreds and issues as they step in front of a microphone or a camera um you know which is something that still happens today you know we, we we see these false people we see these these false characters on our press interviews and so on and so forth where well it's always such fun working with dot 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 and you know that behind the scenes of course they're, they're probably going guy can't stand that person so the idea of having that that kind of clash um was just was just fun um yeah, I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think what else is useful to say about it. I don't know. Did you enjoy it? Was it okay? Oh, it was a nightmare. No, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect going in, but I ended up enjoying it. It was one of the things in the book that I think was most successful, probably because it was creative without going too far. Like some of the things in that collection were, I'm not going to name names, but some of them were just, <laughs> oh, okay. I guess. Well, but I suppose you, it kept a foot in, the, in a recognizable Holmes and Watson. So it, yes, you, you, it was a recognizable Holmes and Watson, but in a wildly different context that was exciting and different. Because the fun thing about it was was to try and actually take the character elements that make Holmes, Holmes, and Watson, Watson, but transplant them into two other human beings. Oh, here is a question about it. Is there any kind of commentary in Arthur Doyle's final fate. On his final fate? Yes. Um, no, not intentionally. Okay. Um, I think he probably died while traveling with Hex in the um, black and white TARDIS <laughs> era of Oh, he definitely overdosed on all of the chocolate spreads. Yeah, that's what it was. It's really rather obvious, and any man who hasn't taken the time to realize it really shouldn't be bothering to ask questions, you know? No, this is one of those things that just literally hadn't occurred to me. I'm thinking, oh, I, oh this is really annoying because an, an extra depth has been found in a story that I hadn't put there, <laughs> uh, which is always lovely. So well, as a meta commentary <laughs> and his creation getting its revenge for what he did in the real world. No, I mean, Conan Doyle is an interesting one, but for me, the the thing I focus on with with, with him is is the real sadness of that that obsession with spiritualism and the unreal, you know, uh, as a way of well, as being a, a grieving man. I believe That's, in cardboard fairies. Yeah, but you know, I, I sort of it's easy to mock him, but I just is, I just but feel sorry for him. Because I really feel sad for him and how he wrecked his friendship with Houdini over total nonsense. That's yeah. the part that always makes me sad. But it's, it's, it's what happens, isn't it? When, when someone becomes so desperate, they have to believe in these things because the idea of a world without them, um, we're kind of harkening back to the third Doctor story that we, we started this interview with. But, we're tying you know, it all up in thematic. I know. It, it, this actually looks almost prepared. Uh, <laughs> Which I can assure you, it, it certainly isn't from my point of view. But the idea of, of, and this is a constant sort of thread in my work, really, because I, I am 
hugely irrationalist. Um, I'm an atheist. I, it's, you know, I, I believe the world is what it is. But I, I accept that for a lot of people, that feels like a cold truth. That feels like something that is uncomfortable to um, conceive of. There has to be more than this. There has to be... Um, there has to be life, life after death, um, especially because this person I love has just died and I don't want them to be completely gone. I want to think there's still something of them there and I will see them again. That's a very comforting thought. You know, someone you love dies, you think, well, it's okay. It's just, this is this is now just the great hiatus. I will see them again soon. The, the idea of that's it, that's done. I am never going to see that person again because they have switched off, gone empty. That's a a big thing to deal with. And you can see how someone like Conan Doyle, obviously a very creative man, ended up just losing himself in that, that desperate need to believe um, in the other worlds, you know, in, in, in the spirituality, um, the church of spirituality. Um, but also, as you say, fairies, anything, anything you could, you could, you could look towards as magical and intangible. They all just bolstered this, this view of a world that was more than this. Um, I, I'm now referencing another of my big finish titles. It's like, it's just like Jerry Springer's summation at the end of a show. Carry on. I was going to say, I'm just going to contribute to the egotistical hour that we're having, and this has actually been an absolute blast. But um, just just to stoke your ego, when James compliments a home store, that's actually, to me, a big deal because I've seen him many a time tear them absolutely apart because he is very particular about what he likes in a home. So I'm going to throw that, that that's a massive compliment that he says he enjoyed it. Well, it's, that's nice and that's good. And I, I'm, I'm glad. But, I mean, it's it's – I'm the same, to be honest, James. I'm the same. You know, oh, yeah. it, it's and 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 our view of what makes Holmes and Watson right will, of course, be completely different. What what would please me in a Holmes and Watson story may not please you in a Holmes and Watson story. But we'll just have to figure it out. I fight. Yeah. But they are characters that we do take to our hearts, and so we do become oh, yes. very particular. Um. So yeah, I, I can get that. I understand, and I knew going in writing uh, Holmes and Watson. You know, I've now done two novels and two short stories, sort of. I mean, that that one is a very unusual one, but I, I hope it still reads, as it seems to have done, it seems to still evoke Holmes and Watson, um, because that, to me, was the trick. If I could still achieve that, even though they weren't real, then it worked. Yes, it worked. So as we begin to close, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to talk about? Oh well, um, <laughs> uh, as it's you know it's just yeah that's the great thing isn't it? It's, it's when silence falls and someone says, well, what do you want to talk about? And then <laughs> the silence becomes so deep, so profound at that point because brains are just gone, they're empty. Um, and let me try and do my professional job. What do I need to talk about? What's coming out soon? Um, we got the Torchwood. Um, Outbreak coming out this month very shortly, which I had a, uh, a part in. I wrote a third of. Um, it'll be interesting to see what people make of that. This is this is the first sort of full, well, kind of, tortured archive was kind of the first full full cast tortured story they've done, but this is a more traditional full cast uh, tortured story, three part. Uh, Jack, Gwen, 
Yanto and indeed Sergeant Andy and and various bits of peripheral loveliness. Um, it's going to be big, epic, something in the in the vein of Children of Earth, if you like. Um, a big full-on kind of story. So that's great for now. Oh, so it's soon. Nick Briggs returning as British military man. He's he's not. No, sadly he's not. Um, Aww. I know it just feels wrong, doesn't it? It's it's so it's so strange whenever I watch that. I go, it's Nick. Look. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that the first time. So so James made me rewind. He's like, that's. Pretty. I was like, oh my gosh, that is. It was great. I know. So it must be, we, we've had a solid laugh over that yeah, many a time. It must be awful for him, really. You know, rather than me sat there going, oh, "That's a lovely performance," I, I'm going, "Oh look, it's Nick!" And the really "Hi, Nick." <laughs> yeah, like at the screen. Uh, he would be livid at that. I think, yeah, thanks, guy. Thanks for that. So glad you were touched by my nuanced performance. Deeply touched. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to just have to mention that to him next uh, next weekend, oh, yeah. James. There you go. Um, yeah, that's that's just me. That's that's me, kind of Letterman style hawking stuff. Oh my, references are so old today. Jerry Springer, Letterman, all these people. Is Springer even still doing a thing? I don't think he is, is he? He is. Yeah. I'm is pretty he? sure he's still on, the yeah. show that never ends. Yeah, I, I think it's still there somewhere. I thought he would, have, he would have stopped baiting trailer parks by now, but apparently not. <laughs> no one ever gets cancelled appealing to the lowest common denominator. Uh, well, true. that's my career all over. So, you know, I'm glad <laughs> you've enjoyed all of my work. Um that's it, guy. Try and insult your hosts right near the end of the show. Um, well, you got rid of the audience. Now you're trying to get rid of the hosts. I've suddenly realized I've five minutes left and I, I haven't managed to destroy it. And it's, oh, I've got to work at this. I've got to work harder. Oh, I don't know. Can we give them the help I'm here, guys? Stanley's oh. home address. Yeah, that would, that would do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Steve Ditko. Like Let's start get rid of him on Heaven's Gate or your new novel, which the name escapes me. About clown is in the title. Oh, the clown service. Yeah, that's, yes. that's uh, clown service is done. There's there's three volumes of that, and 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 it's out and it's done, and there's unlikely to be any more. Um, but that's okay. I the times now. Yeah, that's all right. You don't keep up my career. That's whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> No, my my latest my latest novel. That's English humour, by the way. You shouldn't actually be concerned. Uh, my latest novel is actually of class. Have you seen any of class yet over there? No, it doesn't air here until April. Right. So you've got oh god, you've got ages and ages. Um, yeah, well over here it's it's people are, are, are streaming it on BBC Three, which is is kind of new territory and very very strange. But it seems to be going down really really well. Weirdly, I haven't seen it yet either because in Spain it's not on at all. Um, so yeah, I've written a novel set in the world of class and I've yet to see the show. But here you go. That is an impressive feat. Um, I have read some of the scripts. I didn't go completely blind. I do want to sound even more impressive than uh, I might otherwise have done. But yeah, it's it's it's. I think I think you'll enjoy it. The the response to it has been wonderfully, wonderfully huge. Um, particularly actually with the market it's aiming for. Um, you know, really great YA show that seems to be really. It's. I find a f- fandom. I mean, I'm a fan of so many different things. I I think fandom's fascinating. I saw a couple of people on Twitter before the show had started, and in their profile they were um, 
class's number one fan. I thought, well, you're not. You've not seen it yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, are you going to be changing that the morning after you transmission, as it were? You know, I mean, oh, the most Christ. amazing thing that I saw is that people were already writing fan fiction a couple weeks before the pilot aired. Well, yeah, um, that was me, James Goss, uh, and Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, hopefully people will enjoy them. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my word. It's weird, isn't it? It is, it is weird. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I hasten to add this is this is not me in any way sort of deriding the value of the show as to whether it's worthy of that level of, of, of adoration. Um, I, I sincerely hope and, and expect it is. Um, but it is fascinating how how big this thing feels already. Um, I'm getting just like on, on Twitter and stuff when the books came out. There's a real level of devotion and a fervency and a love for this show already. And I just feel over the moon for Patrick, uh, Patrick Ness, because, I mean, he's a great writer. I don't know if you've read any of his books. Um, I heartily recommend uh, We Also Live Here, uh, which is just brilliant. It's it's what easiest way to describe it is what everyone else was doing during Buffy that wasn't fighting vampires. It's just very clever. Um, but, you know, he's built this show. Uh, him and the entire production team have built this show. But, you know, he's, he's written every episode. And to see the work being embraced as it is must must feel amazing. I'm doing a, a, a signing. I'm actually getting flown over to the UK for a signing. Oh, uh, that's very I know. Uh, it makes me feel terribly flash. Uh, it's proper film stuff because I'm actually flying over the morning of the signing, doing the signing, then flying back the morning after, um, which is, I mean, that's, that's borderline Tom Cruise, isn't it really? That's kind of, that's proper show behavior. It's actually just because I've got awful deadlines and I can't stay any longer. Than that. <laughs> but yeah, we're doing a big signing patch and S myself and, and James Goss. Very nice. And where can our listeners find you online? Uh, oh yeah, this is the, this is the thing that always throws me. No, okay, on Twitter, I am I have the most awful Twitter name at Guy Adams Author, which makes me sound like I have self-published lots of things on a Kindle. But it's because <laughs> there is an at Guy Adams who actually is a journalist who works for the Daily Mail, which um, is awkward for me because the Daily Mail is a very very horrible newspaper over here, and I do occasionally get questions where people think that I am the guy Adams that's just written a slightly inflammatory article about them or their family. <laughs> um, and so I ended up having to, and under the advice of one of my publishers, changing it to Ak Adams author, but I, I now look at it and go, oh, I sound so pompous. But yeah, that's me on Twitter. Come on and watch me be in silence for most of it because I'm probably working, but you know, I'll talk to you. And on Facebook, I am something else entirely. Uh, I'm having to open Facebook, as I always have to, in order to even look at what number I am. Uh, it's in the URL, isn't it? That's so like, yes, I am GuyAdams.39. Okay. Uh, which, you know, means there's another 38, presumably. I'm assuming this works logically. Uh, there's at least 38 other Guy Adamses that bothered to join Facebook beforehand, but none of them have written for John Pertwee. Uh, none of them have so written for So you are objectively the best Guy Adams. Yeah, I win. I clearly out of all of them. Uh, <laughs> I am. I am. I am Guy Adams to the max. I'm optimum Guy Adams. I am full Guy Adams. You're that Daily Mail Guy Adams. You've been beat. 
yeah. He used to, he used to work for the Independent. I, I was proud of him then. And then he moved to the Daily Mail, and I thought, oh, don't do that. Because it's absolutely nothing to do with me. But I sort of felt like he was taking my name with him, you know. Thought, oh, no. I'm going. And Because I'd already had people go, are you the guy that writes for the Independent? And I, thought, I sort of felt slightly proud at that point. I go, actually, I, I'm not. But, you know, it sort of felt quite nice. And now it's, are you, are you the guy that writes for the, uh, for the racist um, and uh, bigoted evil rag of, of, of Hades? No. I assure you I'm not. Here in America, we call that Fox News. It, it is it is the English. Obviously, it's a newspaper rather, but it, its website is the most viewed website in the world, um, newspaper website in the world, and it is very much our version of Fox News. It is it is that inflammatory. It doesn't matter if it's true. We're going to print it anyway, and we'll pay them off because we're still going to make a profit by doing it. And it's just horrible. Um, but yeah. So I gonna get sued after this episode goes on. Inflammatory note to end on. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yes. <laughs> Author slams biggest newspaper guarantees lack of publicity forever. Podcast shut mind. down under massive weight of lawsuits. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, no, it, it's my it's my opinion and no one else's that the Daily Mail um, should just die. Um, that's the, the tagline yes. right there that's the tagline <laughs> oh goodness but uh, no this has been an absolute pleasure and a blast to have you on and get to chat with you for the uh, it's been an hour wow yeah. um, so thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us we'll have you on again I'm absolutely always happy to come on um, thank you very much for asking me you strange people <laughs> it's always a pleasure yes and listeners, stick around after the break for some last words. That's all there is. There isn't any more. Join us next week when we talk to a surprise guest. Before we end, we want to thank our sponsor. Gloria Chuck Pancake Hut. We can trust you in the opening break. We were actually discussing and eating delicious pancakes and tea. You don't want to miss that it's experience. And a special thanks to Robert Ronsky Jr. for starting us on this journey, as well as the Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme, Leaf on a Stream. Thanks to all listened. You make this possible. Remember to subscribe and rate our show on iTunes. It makes all the difference. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night. See you next time.